That's not a fedora. It's more of an indie fedora than your fedora. Okay, okay. It's a trilby. I get it. It is black. <laughs> I get it. But it's the best I had. Okay? Get off my back. Gosh. Uh, get off Webs. my plane. <laughs> Wrong franchise. Okay. Oh, damn. <laughs> Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Today, we're talking about the Indiana Jones quadrilogy in advance of Dial of Destiny. So, full spoilers ahead for all those movies you've been warned from our extreme long shot. Let's move into our medium shot and talk about our history with the Indiana Jones franchise. So, Ryan, where did you first see these movies and how'd you get into this? I believe I saw these movies as a kid, just on regular cable growing up. I don't mm-hmm. think my parents introduced me to these movies, but I distinctly remember watching Raiders of the Lost Ark on TV and distinctly remember watching Last Crusade on TV. I don't know when I slipped in Temple of Doom. And then I think I saw Crystal Skull in theaters. I'm pretty sure. Vague memory. Possible. I don't know. But I, I love these movies. I think they're phenomenal. Great action. Great acting all that stuff. It, it is part of my uh, filmography childhood in terms of storytelling and mystery. And it was on my list as a kid, like what would be a cool profession and being an archaeologist pro- was cool, but that's only because of Harrison Ford. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the Indiana Jones movies are a little weird for me because on the one hand, Raiders of the Lost Ark specifically is in my top 10 favorite movies of all time, it's a pretty fundamental... In terms of my inspirations of as a filmmaker and writer, what I want my work to look like, it would be very similar to Indiana Jones' style. And I'll get into why more later. But in terms of these kind of movies, the tone, everything they're going for is everything I love about movies. It's pure escapism at its finest. Indefinitely had an impact on me as a kid. That said, it's also a weird franchise because I never seem to be as into it as other people. I, I'll be honest, I think I've only rewatched most of these movies like once in my whole life. Maybe I've only maybe seen them once or twice. I don't think I've rewatched Temple of Doom, uh, Last Crusade, or Kingdom of the Crystal Skull since I was a kid. So most of this is just from memory and cultural osmosis Raiders of the Lost Ark I've seen multiple times though just because that one stood out to me the most but I do remember mm-hmm. them all it's it's crazy how even though I've I've barely rewatched these movies I still remember most things about them in a way and maybe that is just because of the cultural osmosis like I said but I think it's just I choose to believe it's just because they were that memorable on and impactful as on me as a kid I only needed to see them once and they stuck with me my entire life. So it's a very magical franchise and I'm looking forward to Dial of Destiny, but I'm not uh, that excited about it. We'll see. We'll talk about that more We're later. Cautious. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, full spoilers ahead for these movies. By the way, I think I did say that up top, but I just wanted to reiterate. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're going to do this probably one by one, but it's probably going to jump around a lot. But uh, yeah, let's get a newer close up and start talking Indiana Jones. You got somewhere you want to start? 
Uh, start at the beginning, man. Raiders. Start at the Fucking. beginning with John Williams' score coming up in the South American jungle. You see mm. these guys in silhouettes going through the jungle, checking maps. You never see in the outright just a silhouette. The fedora silhouettes on the trees, I believe, just as they're going. You see his back. Then somebody whips out a gun on him. The bullwhip cracks and he walks out of the shadows. Steven Spielberg's filmmaking on this scene, just right up top. Mm. My, one of my favorite things about Raiders, and I'll just jump right into the filmmaking element. It's like Steven Spielberg made this movie knowing it would be iconic. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like that scene of Indy walking out of the shadows and stuff. That's a kind of scene that would play for nostalgia bait today. If they were trying to reintroduce Indiana Jones as a character everybody loved. But right from the opening scene of Raiders and his introduction, Steven Spielberg, is, it's like he anticipates people are going to be waiting for this and everyone's going to come back to this movie just like, whoa, it's Indy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I always forget, I don't know why, that Spielberg directed this movie. Mm-hmm. It's not because I don't think it's, I, it, it's one of his best, obviously. But it's just one of those things where it's like early 80s movies. Why is this so good? And then you see his name pop up. You're like, oh, of course, because it's Spielberg. And you just realize how much like iconic stuff he's been in. I've been going through that phase recently. Like I just watched um, I rewatched Rounders recently that had Matt Damon in it. I rewatched Ocean's Eleven. I'm going through the Ocean's movies right now. Ocean 12 is a bit boring, but it's not that bad. Anyway, um, you just like like forget like how much iconic stuff like Matt Damon has like maybe 80% more hits than misses. He's been so yeah. much stuff. And that's what I say with Spielberg too, where he just has so many hits. He's one of probably the, he is probably the one of the best directors of all time. He's phenomenal. And I think it was either, I think it was him. He stated he wanted to direct a James Bond movie. But mm-hmm. I think there was a thing with, American directors or whatever, and then his buddy George Lucas was like, "Well, I have this character, who's not, who's kind of like James Bond, but he's kind of has his own twist to him." And he goes, "Yeah, I'll direct it," and then he creates one of the best franchises of 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 the time. And it's just funny how that All works. Time. Also, I need I need to correct myself. Probably yeah. months ago on the podcast, I said they didn't want to cast Harrison Ford as Han Solo because he cast him in something else. It was actually this where he, like, Harrison Ford just did American Graffiti, and he didn't want to, and I think he didn't want to do Indiana Jones because he just worked with George, or or George just worked with him, and he didn't want to be one of those people who only worked with one actor for a lot of the time. But then he does the screen test, and then the rest is history. So I had to correct myself on that, because I thought for the longest time it was Han Solo, but it was actually Indiana Jones. Very interesting. Yeah, Indiana Jones, they based off of... I believe George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. The guy both from the third movie. Of, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Sorry. I said the guy from the third movie. <laughs> yeah, from the third movie. I know Steven Spielberg and George Lucas both had a love of pulp adventure serials from the 1930s. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, Star Wars was based on the sci-fi serials of that time. So I know George Lucas was definitely a fan of those. The Flash Gordons, the Buck Rogers, that kind of thing. I don't really know specifically what. Indiana Jones was based on if there was a popular serial, but I just know they 
were based on that vibe of right. classic heroic adventurers going to exotic locations and well, kind of like a James Bond sort of thing as well. Like you said, Steven Spielberg wanted to put his spin on James Bond and the American James Bond is a little more rough around the edges mm-hmm. kind of idea goes to, but he's, you know, Indiana Jones kind of is the American James Bond in many ways mm-hmm. with, um, well, you I mean, he doesn't work directly for the government. He's more of a freelancer. He's more, he's got that American streak of independence and moral righteousness to him as well. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you're going through this opening scene, though, going back to the iconography, there's so much. This, this, this cold open is like, like I said, there's the, the shadows, the silhouettes, the crack of the bullwhip. Then they go into the, into the temple, and there's the classic scene of him looking oh. at the golden idol. They're avoiding all these traps. And then it's they, so they good, you go man. to the idol, switch it out with the, <laughs> switch it out with the sandbag, triggers the trap, runs away from the boulder. I love he gets it wrong. I love it because like most of the time, probably right back top. in the day, they just get him right. But I love he's just like a little bit off or I, I, just, I love that. You build your hero up as a badass mm-hmm. and he's pretty smart, too. Evidently, we've seen him dodge multiple traps at this point, gets to the thing and then he screws up. So it shows immediately, OK, this guy's a badass, but he's not infallible. He can screw things up mm-hmm. in a death defying way. But then we have to watch him get out of it which is most of the fun of these movies. And then that giant boulder is one of the most, I think this setup and consequence are one of the most iconic action scenes in cinema. How many times has it been parodied with somebody trying to take something important and then switching it out with something Mm -hmm. that doesn't work. And then sometimes they'll be chased by a boulder or something just as an homage. But like the sandbag switching is iconic. The boulder is iconic. Him trying to make the getaway out of the temple after Belloc steals the thing and the, and the natives are chasing him through the woods. And then he gets onto the biplane and there's a snake in there. Like, I hate snakes, Jock. <laughs> one of the best openings of all time. I'm, I, I'm having trouble finding a better one <laughs> on memory right now. <laughs> it's, it's everything about it is so iconic. Good. Everything. There's nothing to fear. That's what scares me. <laughs> I think that moment also stuck with me where I think it's Alfred Molina. That's Alfred Molina. Yeah, Actually, that's Alfred Molina too. <laughs> where, where Alfred Molina on his way out of the temple, you just see his face impaled oh, with the spikes. That that's shocked was, me as a kid. I was like, oh, <laughs> I saw this it's movie this when type I was, of movie. Yeah, I saw this movie when I was a little kid. And that's got to be one of the most graphic things I'd ever seen in a mm-hmm. film up to that point. when I was, I don't know, five years old. It's like it, it's a jump scare, but not a cliche jump scare. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was You're just like Jesus, the, the, the spike sticking out of his face and all that. Mm-hmm. That's that's a visceral image that scarred yeah. me as a child, which, you know, what? no shot on my parents. I'm glad they showed me that stuff. I think kids need to be scarred just a little bit. Just a little. You have to have memorable things mm-hmm. Yeah, like that happen. It's, Although it's they shots do- like that. And then the boulder yeah. when I've recently watched this. Uh, like a year ago was like, yeah, this is definitely ILM. <laughs> but, I, yeah, but I will say, I will say they let me watch that, but they made me avert my eyes in Temple of Doom with the, with the guy ripping the heart out of oh, his chest. Really? And like, I, I never, I think I've only seen Temple of Doom once or twice. So I've never actually seen mm. that scene play out in the movie because 
Well, you're going to. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, my parents had certain levels of violence that was acceptable and some that was a little graphic. Temple of Doom pushed the line at the time, but. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Violence oh. was never a problem in my family, but my mom always made me cover my eyes when two people were like kissing or painting. <laughs> Interesting. It's like, what's happening? It's like, no, don't look. <laughs> I got that to an extent as well. But yeah, so what? Uh, uh, so what happens next? After that, we meet Professor Jones at his university, find out he's got a relatively normal life. This badass archaeologist dodging traps, whipping guys, and stealing dodging, cultural yeah, artifacts. Also dodging potential harassment lawsuits from his students, where he closes her eyes and says, I love you. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, oh, God. I get it. He's hot, but come on now. Weren't we all thinking 40s. it, though? Who cares? No, we're all thinking it. He's good looking. You and think he, those are real glasses? You think no. he's just putting them on for show? Well, <laughs> maybe. Maybe he's nearsighted. Or farsighted. Maybe, who knows? I don't, well, I there's a theory because he uh, puts them on when he's reading uh, part of the Grail tablet in the third one. Oh, but, okay. like, for the other two, he just, like, puts them on when he's, like, the professor. But They're uh, just reading glasses, then, I guess. Yeah. Oh, the costume in this in these movies are fantastic. Just all the different states that he's in, where and it's distinct from each movie to movie. Yeah, the uh, I love his professor outfit. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I think I really love this franchise because I played the Lego game on DS so much as a kid. Oh yeah. So I've played through these game like the games multiple times. So I, I just know. The- I played through both of them. There was the mm-hmm. original Lego game, which was just the Indiana Jones trilogy. And then there was the complete Indiana Jones, which had crystal skull Mm -hmm. in there as well. Which I wonder if they'll do the fifth one. Who knows? They probably will. Yeah. Put their own spin on. I mean, they just released the, the other year. They did the the Skywalker saga with, so they went pretty fun. Actually, (laughs) I've played a few levels. It's really fun. Yeah. I'm still on the Phantom Menace because I was playing Mm -hmm. with my brother and we just never got back to it. I mean, you can skip you can skip the prequels. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, That's not the part I, I think want to skip. I think what's cool about those games, though, you can start from any trilogy. Or the Skywalker yeah. Saga. Yeah. Which is you started nice. One, four, seven. Yeah. Couldn't do it back in the day. <laughs> you, had to, you had to go in order. You had to do Kids it. Kids have it so easy today. Anyway. But uh, yeah, so Raiders is one of those movies where it just has iconic scene after iconic scene. It's just because it was one of those movies to just do it first. In these terms of action and storytelling, I think um, what happens next is, I mean, goes to the office and then he meets up with um, the army agents or yeah, the army agents and they talk about um, Ark of the the Covenant Covenant. and he does like, he he does it like a, what I love about that scene is he does, he's like, it's like he's teaching a classroom and the one agent leans in like he's fully infatuated (laughs) about what he's saying. I think yeah. it's like unintentional, but it's so funny to me. And and then he goes to see uh, Ravenwood or tries to find Ravenwood. And there's that um, that scene where they're in the bar. Marion instead drinking some guy under the table. So good. So good. good I love Marion. Well. She's great. Yeah. Um, and I believe it. I believe she could hold her liquor. Just how she cares herself and how she acts throughout the scene two excuse me which also a little concerning because she acts completely sober when indy walks in (laughs) (laughs) or maybe she just sobers up 
Or maybe, maybe the other guy's a lightweight. We never know. Alcohol works in strangest ways, kids. Stay yeah. away from vices. <laughs> or maybe she's just good at acting. Mm. Solid around him. Just trying to put That's on her true. best face when her ex walks mm-hmm. through the door. Yeah. And, you know, there was like an age gap there that's maybe not great but hey it was the 40s so anyway yeah that's uh, uh that, that's <laughs> been that's been pretty well documented mm-hmm. by now there's a line where she said uh she was just 15 when they met yeah. something like that which but hey the actress who played marion crane said it's okay so we should be okay with it <laughs> yeah i mean the relationship was set in a different time which doesn't make it okay it by today's time. standards but <laughs> yeah still but a great I also, movie. but what i will say about it in 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 um it's a weird positive spin on it mm-hmm. but like in a in a dark way but i also like that it paints indiana jones is not a hundred percent good guy yeah like he will i mean he's straight up murders of, people in this like he, he straight <laughs> up murders people he'll like he'll he'll kind of take advantage of the naive heart of a 15 year old girl and then Mm-mm. break her heart later like he's he's kind of a dick he's not yeah. He's not a squeaky clean hero, and the movie doesn't try to make him out to be either. Those flaws, you can rail against him a lot, try to cancel Indiana Jones for this or that. Oh, yeah, he also, as I've been reading lately, some people remind me, he he also, you know, steals a lot of cultural artifacts out of their home and destroys ancient temples and all that. He's like, he does a lot of, he does a lot of stuff that by today's standards is kind of morally reprehensible. But I also appreciate that he's allowed to have nuance. Modern characters Mm -hmm. in this kind of vein either have to be like, look at the new Uncharted movie, for example, right? They make they take all the grit out of Nathan Drake in that movie and they make him as squeaky clean as possible. And it doesn't feel the same. You need those. You need that Mm -hmm. kind of grit and flaws to make an interesting character. And that's what. Yeah. endears indie to me is that he is ultimately trying to do the right thing for right reasons but he's not he's not a hero he's not an anti-hero but i don't know he's he's hero he's heroic for the time mm-hmm. in, like in this time yeah. this was considered a an ideal guy to be Mm-hmm. And he's still got a lot of good traits to look up to, but you know, we with a modern and lens. And to be fair, most of the people he killed were Nazis. So so who cares? Get over it, people. Yeah. Uh, I think people need to realize that archaeology is just legalized grave robbing. So get over it. <laughs> yeah. But the difference between Indiana Jones and the grave robbers, which I think that's a scene in Last Crusade where he's upset that the grave oh, robbers yeah, yeah. are stealing this ancient artifact. The difference is these grave robbers are trying to steal stuff for their own personal profit or in the case of the Nazis, because they're going to use it to further their evil agendas by trying to use it for selfish reasons. It gives them power. Indy is a now once again, you can you can say all you want about how he destroys the temples or takes the artifacts from their native cultures, but he also respects them. For their historical value, mm-hmm. he wants to see them preserved in a museum where all can enjoy them and learn from them. So once again, it's a flawed reasoning, but it's still, in his own mind, a selfless one. He's not looking for personal power or wealth. He could sell these things for 
like the actual Ark of the Prophet, Covenant. Yeah. Who knows how much he could sell that for, right? But he knows it's not his to sell. It's bigger mm-hmm. than him. And that's what sets him apart. They're taken so, away by top men. Yeah, well, U.S. Army, whatever. Top but, men. <laughs> but yeah, well, that's part of the nuance of these stories is that it's not... Yeah, he, he doesn't do the purely heroic things by the today's standards, but by the standards of the 1930s and or even mm-hmm. the 80s when the movie came out, he's he's still seen as a a pretty good he's guy, badass. if not. Yeah. Yeah. I would take Indiana Jones over any other quote-unquote iconic character we've gotten in the 2000s. Just like cuz most of the time they're either super like squeaky clean or they just fall into like the anti-hero but they're more clean than dirty. Or you get modern characters who are so hyper clean and virtue signaling that it nearly becomes like self-parody. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, the creators are trying to make you so flawless because we're supposed to be endeared mm-hmm. to you. But because you're so you're so in like everybody's who, business. Hmm? Like who? <laughs> well, I you know what you're it. thinking. Take any franchise, you pick, you name it. There's a character like that in it Could now. be another franchise written by George Lucas that you're thinking about? Well, not this version. <laughs> I wasn't even, I, I know who you're getting at. I wasn't even thinking of anyone specific. Oh, I'm okay. Just, <laughs> it's just, there is a character like that in every new franchise or right. inserted into every old franchise that continued. Mm-hmm. Just somebody who's got to be better than you in every way. And yeah. like, that especially sucks. when you, you, especially when you have to compare them to the old people. Right. In the mm-hmm. long running franchise, there's somebody who's always better, more moral, more just better at everything, does it in a way that we as a modern audience would accept more. But it also doesn't feel genuine because it feels like, well, you're doing the right thing because it's obviously the right thing, but not because that's what your character would do. Mm-hmm. It just it takes all the nuance out of it and it takes the fun out of it. So. I mean, we'll get into more discussion of dissection of the yeah. indie character as it goes, but we've been going on a little long. I like that, uh, personally. Yeah. <laughs> I like the uh, the sound design of these movies as well. Like, this is where you get the punch sound effect, like the classic indie yeah. punch sound effect. I think, the, honestly, I think the first time you hear it is when Marion punches Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. And that, to me, that looks so real. I don't know if it's just because it was framed properly or she actually clocked him. But just the way both her and Harrison Ford acted, it looks like he actually got punched and just maybe the added sound effect or maybe it's just my delusional brain as a kid being like, oh, damn, she clocked him because usually it's a smack. But her, she's like, I'm clocking you <laughs> like right in the face right now. And then the, um, in his, uh, hey, that's something Lucasfilm did really well back then. They don't have damsels in distress. They have no pretty badass women who can hold their own. With the heroes. I mean, yeah, they, you know, Marion gets captured a couple times, but she still like Marion gets captured a couple times, but she still yeah. outs, outwits the Nazi and yeah. to, to escape herself. And then Indy finds yeah. her, but I would never call Marion or Princess Leia a damsel in distress. It's no. just like they, they get captured a few times and we have to go save them. Yeah. It's but they like, still hold oh, their no, my friend's captured. There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like they and need, even Leia saves Luke sometimes. Anyway, that's Star Wars. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> we love Lucasfilm. Uh, it's Lucasfilm in the late seventies, early eighties. This is within four mm-hmm. years of A New Hope, so it's basically man, they had a good not, decade, eh? 
<laughs> you know what? This is. I'll just get to this point now. That, for my money, Raiders of the Lost Ark is the ideal Lucasfilm film. Yeah, um, and I and I think that even over the any of the Star Wars movies, to be honest, and I'll, I'll tell you why. This is the a super tight screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan. This is directed by Steven Spielberg, who is one of the best directors of all time. Scored by John Williams, who's one of the best composers of all time. Story by George Lucas and John Williams. Or story by George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, who are two of the best creative minds to ever work. George Lucas is one of the most creative minds in Hollywood history. Mm-hmm. It's special effects by Industrial Light and Magic. Starring Harrison Ford, one of the greatest actors to ever live. Mm-hmm. It's just, this movie is lightning in a bottle. It's got some it's of the so best good. talent working in 1981 or any era of Hollywood history. It's like everyone who either could be, fa- who was already kind of famous or would be more famous through the, for the decades worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark. This was Lucasfilm firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not going to say it's objectively a better movie than Empire Strikes Back or anything else they did after that. But to me, this was Lucasfilm operating at its peak in the early 80s. This was everybody at the like top everybody of their is, game. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. This movie's so fucking good. I can't wait to rewatch it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just the, the, this bar scene alone... I think is really good because it sets up Marion as a character and then you have the Nazis come in with the and then you get the burn on the amulet or the amulet, whatever it is. The something Reaches into the fire and grabs it. Reaches in the fire, burns his hand. Which I thought was then, really clever later in the movie when the Nazis found out mm-hmm. about the amulet because of that burn. They, they yeah. looked clo- more closely at it. Oh, it burned in your hand. We can use yeah. that. They're digging in the wrong place. <gasps> hilarious uh which is just a good and i love at the end it's like she's like i'm your goddamn partner like her bar's burning down yeah uh and then they cut to where they go to um where is it nepal where do they go to next they go to uh cairo it's not egypt cairo that's what it okay salah yeah cairo egypt yeah salah john reese davies great guy Guess what, everybody? He's tall. He's not like Gimli sized, okay? <laughs> he's a tall dude. Um, great Glad character. he's coming back in number five. I know. I, that was a shocker. I didn't think they'd bring him back. I really, I wonder if they'll bring back Short Round. I wonder. Maybe as a cameo. I, I don't know. Because he's, show, he's shown up to set. <laughs> and he's shown up to the premiere. Um, Interesting. So, who knows? Wink, wink. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe here's my, at the end of the movie, you see Indy's hat fly away and you think it's at Shia LaBeouf's feet, but whoever puts it on and it's short round. <laughs> That'd be cool. That'd be hilarious. I would love that. So then Cairo, so, uh, so Belloc is, uh, assisting the Nazis now to get the mm-hmm. rape, to get the Ark of the Covenant and they find out where the burn marks are. And uh, they have that chase through the through the Great bazaar. Chaser. This and is then, where Indiana uh, Jones straight up point blank shoots a guy in the head. <laughs> yeah, because he's Harrison driving Ford, the truck away. Because <laughs> Harrison Ford got food poisoning. And, no, I'm talking about there's uh, one time where uh, like he thinks Marion's in the back of a truck oh. and he climbs up, and as he's driving by, just straight up like bang right in the head. 
and you see the blood splatter on the camera, I think, and you're just like, oh my god, this professor's a murderer. But no, yeah, the the sword fighter too, that one's funny because classic. Everybody was all sick. They had a planned fight scene, and Harrison Ford was like, Can I just try something? And they're like, sure. And then he does the iconic improvised thing, and then everybody was feeling sick, so they were like, fuck it, let's just keep it. <laughs> like, let's move on. See that that scene to me. It's both an iconic movie moment and it also is another inspiring scene to me as a filmmaker because that Mm -hmm. shows that it's a prime example of the plan version isn't always the best way to go. Yeah. Everyone expected, they're like, oh, you know, in this action movie, let's have a really cool choreographed fight. Sure. Of course, we're going to do that. Indiana Jones fights this sword guy. There was probably a really cool fist fight choreographed. Somebody Mm -hmm. probably put a lot of work into that. It would have been awesome, I'm sure. But the better creative choice, which was also the choice nobody, the audience would expect, would expect a big fight too, because everything's leading up to a big fight. That's just cinematic language. We're trained to expect, oh, these guys are squaring off or something big. And then, nope, he just shoots him, which is better for multiple reasons. A, it shows Indy is smart <laughs> because the... I mean, a guy, a guy shows up with a sword and you got a gun. Of course, you're just going to shoot him. You're not going to be baited into a stupid fist fight. So A, it shows Indiana Jones as a smart character. B, it subverts audience expectations because movie logic trains us to think that even though the guy's got a gun, he's going to end up into a fist fight with him somehow mm-hmm. or something, or it's going to get close quarters somehow. And then, you know, internet commenters weren't a thing, but if they were back then, they'd be like, he had a gun. Why didn't he just shoot him? Why didn't he just shoot him? <laughs> so oh, everybody, yeah. everybody was forty years ahead of that. But yeah, I think that it's a good subverting moment mm-hmm. and makes Indy look like a better character in the process. So a, a lot goes ki- there. You could learn a thing from that scene. Yeah, and then they kill off Marion. <gasps> what? <gasps> Halfway through the movie. It's not the first time a Marion getting killed halfway through the movie would be shocking. Mm -hmm. And I also like how he's actually distraught about it. Where I think in like modern movies now where they'd be distraught about it during the scene, but they wouldn't like, for instance, they wouldn't go like what Indy does here. They, he wouldn't go to a bar to drink his sorrows away. Like here, I feel like they do a scene where it's like my friend's gone. And then the next scene, they just completely forget about it. Where here he's like actually distraught about it and it affects him. And then he meets up with Balak again. I love Balak in this movie, not because I don't see him as threatening. I just love that he's just a complete annoyance <laughs> to Indiana Jones. I love their their, but a comp- like their banter. But a competent annoyance too. He got the idol mm-hmm. at the beginning because he just he outwitted exactly. him. He's working with the Nazis. It's like, yeah, I could take you in a fight, but you're partnering with more powerful allies here and i just i can't take you mm-hmm. right now you're yeah, just that's what i mean yeah yeah he's just like he just he's on indiana jones all the time and it's not it's just he's got more money he's got more power and i just love it's not like he's not a physical threat but he's an intellectual threat and i think for yeah. the time that was really smart to do and very different to do and i think that's what some other indiana jones movies are kind of missing is that Mm. on that equal footing is that this guy is he's he's a villain that's of equal intelligence to indiana jones 
He's also mm-hmm. a professor, a studier of archaeology. He's nearly like a Moriarty to his Sherlock yeah. Holmes in a way. He's like the dark antithesis of what Indiana Jones would be if he treasures if he treasure hunted for wealth and fame instead of for preservation and yeah. historical value. So I, I like way, that he's he, he himself is not a Nazi technically, but he's just using the Nazis' power and their resources to just get what he wants. And to him, he's able to step over that moral high ground because it's the easiest thing for him and he's got the money to do it. And there's scenes throughout the movie that shows that, like, I don't fully agree with these guys, but they got all the shit that I need. So I'm going to use their resources to gain my power. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the Ark of the Covenant because I want to be the guy who found the Ark of the Covenant. So what? I've got to work with Nazis to do it. It's a means to an end. Will history remember I was the guy who worked with the Nazis? No, they'll remember <laughs> I was the guy who found God's Ark. Exactly. So I think he's a great villain. I think he's he's not talked about enough because no. I think Indiana Jones is just so iconic that he's not overshadowed, but I think people just forget about Belloc a lot. Definitely. But then oh, Marion's back. <gasps> Shocker. <gasps> Marion's alive. Survived. She's in a tent. Uh, <laughs> held at the enemy camp mm-hmm. and she fake flirts with Belloc in a great way and I love um, <laughs> they get absolutely plastered and I love when he pull, she pulls a knife on her on him his immediate thought is like oh fuck they both burst out laughing but you know what? That was that drunk. But see, that that was a Chekhov's gun situation because her introduction is her drinking guys under the table. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking about it, you're like, oh wait, she can hold her liquor. We already know that. Yeah, so, exactly. Throughout you know, the, she's yeah, playing I think him. it's a brilliant scene. But just like to highlight that as well, I think the more the cliche thing to do is like, she pulls out the knife and then everything's serious. But she pulls out the knife and they're losing their minds <laughs> yeah he's like ah you got me there because he's like <laughs> drunk as hell and then the gag when the nazi walks in and he's got like this choker device but it turns into a, a coat oh, hanger, coat hanger. <laughs> yeah. just great this movie's great and then the humor um, is really underappreciated as well it's got a lot of good jokes yeah. mm-hmm. it's got that classic george lucas steven spielberg comedy where it's subverting your expectations once again, this is one of the reasons I love this movie so much is the tone of it. If you make this movie nowadays, it's either a complete farce or it's deadly serious. Mm-hmm. But they were taking inspiration from their childhood movies of these adventure serials, which you didn't take too seriously at the time, really, because right. they were just, you just went to the movie theater. They played for, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. Maybe you saw the next installment of it. The next week at the movies, whatever. They were disposable entertainment. But I believe the idea was take that disposable entertainment of our youth, have that same fun, freewheeling vibe to it that we loved about it, but bring it into the modern day with state-of-the-art filmmaking. I mean, these guys went were the first generation who went to film school, so they're like, let's take those classic adventure stories and bring some legitimacy to them. Bring them, mm-hmm. make them just serious enough that modern audiences will take it seriously, but keep the tone we loved as children because we want to replicate that. Like, why do it if we're not going to do it the way we liked it at the time? Right. And I think, I think they perfectly found that balance mm-hmm. of, yeah, this is a fun globe trotting adventure where you fight Nazis, swing on bullwhips, punch guys in the face, mm-hmm. ride on horses and... 
trucks and like crazy action scenes and there's a lot of humor but there's also a lot of dark and serious moments here like at the end when they're staring at the ark i'm skipping ahead a bit but like when they're staring at the ark and all the nazis are getting killed and faces are melting that's all that's 100 percent serious it's all 100 real too all that practical well the i mean yeah it's all technically real melting drawing on the ghosts the melting faces are insane and uh uh, one scene I like to highlight, we kind of skipped a little bit when um, Indy's in the temple and he's got the staff of, the, of raw. raw. I keep saying raw. And then uh, the light shines on it and then it points the one and you just see Harrison Ford's face like glow up because underneath he's just a huge dork. Like he's <laughs> like he has this badass persona, he's but like, he's a man awesome. of archaeology. He's like, this is so cool. And it's I'm just a great, ancient like, ruins, finding and, hidden puzzles. John Williams score throughout that scene like builds and builds and builds and builds and the tone throughout this movie is so good and the action's really good I mean when they're escaping on the plane and he's fighting the big dude it's it's well paced I mean there's moments where the guy's like come on let's fight and he's just like give me a second (laughs) like he's just like just give me a sec and he tries and they like he gets hit once and he's like already on the ground because he's so big that's Uh, another childhood drama yeah, about that childhood actor. Or the With the, when he actor. goes through the propeller. Yeah. A thing about that giant actor, though, the big guy, he's technically in all three films. He's in Temple of Doom, where he plays like a giant guy in. Um, he's got he's yeah, got regal, the, some kind of I mean, it's a little bit of. Yeah, he's in he's kind of a bit of brown face, but, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, That's the guy he, he gets sucked under turban, the, the turban. Yeah, he gets sucked into the thing. He gets sucked under the grinder. And, yeah. I, I, and that's another was, childhood drama. He's the blood smear yeah. on the. Doesn't he also get sucked under the boat in Last Crusade? Into that no, he's not. He's in a deleted scene in The Last Crusade. Uh, okay. So the third movie, you can see him walking with one of the Nazis when Harrison Ford and Sean Connery are in the blimp. But other, they did have a fight scene planned out, but I think Harrison Ford was injured at the time or something like oh. that, or they had filmed it, but then they just scrapped it. So technically, he's in all three films, which is really cool. Interesting. But yeah, that plane scene's really good because Marion's actually doing something. She's not a damsel. She's trying to figure stuff out. She's trying to get the plane and, working. Mm-hmm. And then inevitably they fuck up and they just blow up the whole thing. That's a and great shot, And it's real shot, explosions. Though. Whoo! It's an amazing shot. I love that real long, explosions. Extreme long shot running away off the landing and everything's blowing I don't up care. around. Them. Beautiful. It's so iconic that they use it at Universal Studio live shows. They use that set piece and you can feel the heat from that far away. I love real life explosions in film. I don't care how bad for the environment they are. They look great. <laughs> they look great on film. Yeah. And I, I just love that scene. And then when the, the car chase, when Indy goes under the truck and he's trying to grab on the stuff, but it keeps Classic. breaking. You're like, Oh God, he's grabbing the freaking Mercedes, uh, head thing. And the, it's bending uh, down yeah. and then he ties the rope or his whip under the thing. And he's sliding. You're like, Oh my God. Getting it's dragged crazy. around on the gravel. Who does this? <laughs> Who makes this type of action? It's amazing these, work. And these are action scenes. Like you see in some movies where you're like, ah, that's kind of cheesy or, looks bad today these action scenes still hold up today the choreography is still great this truck scene in particular is still pretty burned in my brain of like wow that's some crazy stunt work they did on that mm-hmm. going on these moving trucks he's going into the truck out of the truck under the truck 
hanging on by the whip as it's going, riding up horses alongside it, knocking guys out in there. John going through the score, going through the, the windshields. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Whenever and then in that scene where Indy gets shot in the arm, I wince every time because you see like the blood splatter on the windshield, like fuck. But then later on, he did, like he does this and he checks on it again, and it's almost like it stops bleeding. I know it doesn't, but he's kind of like, I'll just deal with it later. <laughs> that also leads to another iconic scene when they're on the boat in Marion's yeah. like, where does it hurt? Here. 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 Here, <laughs> Here. Here a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he falls asleep making out and she's like, men. <laughs> Good scene. Oh, uh, and we should address the theory that if Indiana Jones wasn't in the movie, then the plot wouldn't have changed. That's bullshit. All right. Definitely. Because. <laughs> They wouldn't have been able to find the Ark or blah, blah, blah. And I know it's like a joke that happens in like a Big Bang Theory episode, but how dare you? <laughs> it's one of the greatest movies of all time. I mean, would it have played out similarly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, but he did. He found it first. Yeah. And he was also the one who, you know, recovered it after the Nazis killed themselves with it. Without exactly. him, that Ark would just be hanging out on the island afterwards. Mm-hmm. And somebody else would have found it. So that was important for him to be there at the end so he could haul it back to the U.S. government, mm-hmm. if anything. So. Oh, and people also wonder, how did Indiana survive outside the submarine? There's a deleted scene where he's hanging on to the antenna because it's not a fully submerged submarine. Oh, it's just yeah. almost over the surface. And he's just kind of like <laughs> floating. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. He looks miserable, but that's what it, anyway. Oh yeah, Marion would have died multiple critique. times without him. The Nazis would have got her in the first scene yeah. at the at the bar, probably. Absolutely. Stolen that medallion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's resourceful. She could have gotten out for a while, but I yeah. think I don't think she could have gotten out fully without his help. Anyway, so, should we move on to the temple? <laughs> um probably should. <laughs> probably. Yeah, I guess the the points I can make about Raiders I have I can make later. Temple of Doom. Now now we're starting to get into the stuff I don't remember <sighs> as much, but so we're not gonna get as detailed, I bet. But we'll you know I remember a so lot. So this one's this one's technically a prequel because it's set one year before Raiders. Yes, which I think I should address that. I don't think prequels were really a thing back then. I can I I don't know if I want to call it the first prequel movie, but it's right. Like, I remember when Phantom Menace came out, right? That was a huge mm-hmm. deal. What do you mean this movie is set before? And Temple of Doom was a lot more subtle about it. If you didn't remember the movie was set in 1936, seeing that 1935 title card probably wouldn't be off-putting. You wouldn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. The Phantom Menace made a lot more of its marketing based around the fact that, yes, this is 30 years before A New Hope. Every, you need to know that going in. Temple of Doom's a subtle prequel, but I can't think of any other movie before Temple of Doom that was actually, well, come to think of it, there weren't many big franchises at all back in the early 80s. There's maybe only, I don't know, off the top of my head, you had James Bond, Planet of the Apes, Rocky, Star Wars, Mm -hmm. Star Trek, (laughs) but not not many. At that time, it's it's definitely one of the first. Yeah. It has a great, again, uh, Temple Doom has a great opening in the, um, the Chinese restaurant, I believe, or Japanese restaurant. Night, I, the I the nightclub, yeah. whatever. The nightclub, great, 
great opening where, and again, shows the character of Indiana Jones is not always good. He's like, give me the antidote. Or I'll straight up stab this woman. <laughs> I will straight up stab this woman in the gut who I just met. <laughs> well, that's what Temple of Doom does interesting is make Indy a... He's more grittier in this movie, I think. He's a less good character in this. This is kind of his origin story of learning to be more selfless. Mm-hmm. From what I recall, Raiders of the yeah. Lost Ark, he was still kind of a dick, but he was also more of a hero. In Temple of Doom, he's just, he's more like Belloc, actually. He is more mm-hmm. opportunistic and willing to, like he said, stab the innocent girl just to get away. A little more cutthroat, less. However, he's pretty, uh, he's pretty chill with uh, Short Round. That's like the only one he actually likes in this movie. <laughs> the only person, anyway. Well, Short Round doesn't bug him, holds his own. Yeah. What can you say? He's a, he's a good companion. He like sees him like a son. That's why I think he's going to show up in Dial of Destiny. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Treats him more like a son than his actual son. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, so this is, yeah, this is a weird one because it's notably darker because... Both Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were going through a breakup around the time, and they've admitted that they would have rewritten it a little bit differently if they were in a better mindset. And I have come out and said this is my least favorite, but I still think it's a good movie. It's a great movie. It's still got, like, iconic scenes, the opening, the car chase at the beginning as well, and the whole third act is probably some of the most crazy shit I've ever seen when I was a kid. Yeah, how dark everything was. Yeah, it's still uh, it's still very memorable stuff. It's mm-hmm. I think the reason I never gravitated towards it was because. Once again, even when I was a kid, it was more of it was the most taboo of them. <laughs> this is the right. one where, like, like you said, uh, you know, parents cover your eyes because. It's it's the most emotionally traumatizing, probably to watch. And I think that's why it just didn't have the sense of fun of the other ones. Mm-hmm. It felt more grimdark, more serious, more like how would I expect an Indiana Jones movie to be made today or a couple of years ago when everything was a lot more dark and gritty specifically. It yeah, it's it took that element of seriousness a bit too far and didn't keep enough of the fun of those early pulp serials. Which, you know what, I, I, in the grand scheme of the franchise, I respect that because I don't want the sequel to feel the exact same. Last Crusade is more beloved because it felt like a return to form after they did something different. You need that shake-up every once in a while. Out of all the four, it's the dark Indiana Jones movie. And that's fine, because at least it has something that sets it apart. It's, mm-hmm. it's still good, and it's, it's still its own thing. It doesn't blend in with the others. It's not... Oh well, it's it feels like Raiders and Last Crusade, but worse. It's it's doing its own right. thing, and I think the people who like it like it, and the people who don't like it hate it. Well, they don't. They okay. That's not that's too much, but you know what I mean. People who like it yeah. like it. People who don't don't. It's same thing with Crystal Skull, which we'll get to later. Oh, for sure. But it's. I mean, one the, of the only more, like bad thing I could say about this is the female interest. Willie, she's yeah, she's terrible. <laughs> well, we're and talking not, about that. She was she was directed in the way she was. I'm not dot like dotting on the actress. She was, I think she was made to look like that because of George and Steven were going through something. 
but uh, she was just so annoying. <laughs> yeah, this is a backslide for sure for for our female representation in mm-hmm. action movies. We talked about how Marion and Princess Leia were really strong women, could hold their own. Willie is the classic damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. Screams at everything, needs to be rescued constantly, can't hold her own. Which, you know, what, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make a half-hearted defense of that and say that, seeing as this is a prequel, this is this proves, and this is part of Indiana Jones's character development is to make him pal around with a woman that he knows that he'll never want another woman like this again. That's why <laughs> that's why Marion and Elsa are both ways. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah, with, that's funny. That that's what I'm like saying about that. that. I like that. That's good. He picked better later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's see. Annoying woman, Nazi woman. Which one is better? Anyway, <laughs> the Nazi woman didn't seem so bad till he knew she was a Nazi. <laughs> that's fair. Oh man, but yeah, Temple of Doom. Yeah, this one's a strange one for me. But I still enjoy it a lot. I think, again, the set pieces are iconic. Lucasfilm knocks out of the park. Always. Every time. Especially that the actual Temple of Doom. Uh, Molar Ram is, I think, the most over-the-top evil villain you could ever have, but also super iconic. Over-the-top works in certain contexts, and this is one of them. Yeah, this is one of them, for sure. And... I think for what they were going for, they nailed it in terms of the dark tone. I mean, the child slavery is another one where you're like, oh my uh, yeah, God, see, like, watch this as a kid. You're like, Jesus Christ. Seeing short round get whipped was crazy. Yeah, this is the one with guys getting their hearts ripped out of their chest. Child slavery. Guys getting mm-hmm. eaten by crocodiles. It's graphically. Oh, yeah. They also eat monkey brains, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Don't worry. It's not real monkey brains, Joe. <laughs> I think indeed there was that assassination scene. They got, I think. Oh really, yeah. And he like hangs himself on the fan by accident yeah. or he throws his whip up. Yeah. Yeah. And Willie uh, gets covered in bugs. I think at one oh. point when they're going down the, down I the hate corridors. that scene. Cause there's yeah. just like giant insects. Disgusting. It's also lit darker as well. Mm-hmm. There's satanic imagery and, or like, I guess the Indian version of satanic imagery, yeah. the, the fiery pits, they nearly get drowned in the mines. Like the whole thing is set underground. Like you said, they're whipping children and slavery, mm-hmm. brainwashing. It's, it's creepy stuff. Yeah. It's insane. And this movie was PG. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is when the rating system mattered, kids. Worth addressing <laughs> that this is one of... I believe this and I think Gremlins were the two movies oh that gosh. convinced the <laughs> Motion Picture Association to instill a new rating, PG-13, because mm-hmm. this movie was not okay for children, and I think they realized that, but also they didn't have another rating. They're like, well, it's not hardcore enough to be R or X, and it's not it's definitely not general audiences. PG is the best we've got right now, so I guess it has to be PG. So then they came up with PG-13 because of this. They said, well, okay, so it's good for 13 and under. Parental guidance needed mm-hmm. under because 
Yikes. Some of this stuff. I'd be proud if I was Steven Spielberg and that happened. <laughs> well, like, I made you, a whole new rating. <laughs> wouldn't you be glad as, a, as an artist to make that kind of seismic shift? Make something mm-hmm. that's either so offen- offensive to somebody that's something or so inspiring that the industry chain you were working in changed because of what you made. Yeah. Yeah. So every PG 13 you've ever seen in your life. Thank Mr. Spielberg. I will. I'll say say that to him in person. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Um, Spielberg for the PG 13 rating. It made me feel like more of an adult as a child. And mm -hmm. I can't remember if the main theme, I think this is the movie where the main theme is in it the least. Like the iconic Indiana Jones theme. That's probably because, once again, if we're looking at this as a prequel, he's not... The Indiana Jones theme, and really any hero's theme in general, is used when the hero's being badass and Mm. doing their hero thing. This is, once again, the more opportunistic indie. He's less heroic. He's more in it for himself or just out of circumstance. This is an Indiana Jones that doesn't deserve his theme as much. Because he's employing children? <laughs> yeah. Except for the moments that he does, of course, deserve yeah. it, and then he gets it. Mm-hmm. Which is supposed to, if they use it more sparingly, does make it feel more triumphant. Oh, the hero is doing the thing. But less so than Raiders of the Lost Ark. So that's, mm-hmm. that's something different. So it makes yeah. it feel more earned in a way. I hate when they just throw characters' themes into movies willy-nilly because it doesn't mm. feel... It's like, well, you're just trying to get a reaction out of me, and yeah, it kind of worked for a second, but they didn't really deserve it. This wasn't as badass as the music <laughs> is trying to make me think it was. I get that. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, there's like a... <laughs> I'm going to dog on it again, but in Rings of Power, like the music is it's composed by Bear McQuarrie, Mm-hmm. Who's done the more two recent God of War games? So and he's he's just phenomenal. And there's like a scene in the end where they're 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 crafting something, like they're crafting some stuff. And the music wants to make you think this is the greatest. This is what the show's been leading up to. Yeah. But just how the story's gone, it's like <laughs> the <laughs> music is trying so hard to carry it. That's like the most recent thing I can think of. That's but a yeah, good example. I think. One iconic scene that I can think of out of Temple Doom is when they're in the mine carts. Yes. And they're going through, and it's filmed in a way where um, the wide shots, they're actually miniatures. Really? And they're little kind of like small puppets inside them. And it's like filmed really well and really fast where you don't even notice until someone points it out to you. And I think that's just a great scene on its own. Yeah. Once again, ILM carrying their weight. Yeah. And- Amazing. The juggernauts. Love that scene on the bridge at the end. Yeah, That's that one too. iconic scene. There's even like a quick scene right before that where he goes for his gun, but he doesn't have it. And he's like, <laughs> and he books it. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, whoops. Yeah. So they get the artifacts back to the village, save the children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back to new adventure. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll be better. Anyway. Maybe. And so that one, uh, well, no, that's, that's another one. I'll just, I'll tie it in. We'll go to the last crusade next. So oh, last baby. crusade, I think that starts with the mm-hmm. river Phoenix, young yep. Indiana Jones. You get a quick origin story of Indiana Jones. You get his, the whip, the scar on his chin, the hat. And 
Nowadays, what they would have done is they would have made that 10-minute sequence into a whole movie. But, yeah. like, this 10-minute sequence is all you need to be like, yeah, this is Indiana Jones. This is where it came from. River Phoenix, perfect casting choice. I think he did phenomenal. Actually, you get actually, his you know fear what? of snakes as well. You know what? They did do this for a Harrison Ford character, and that movie was called Solo. We have seen this, actually. I was trying to avoid that, Joe. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't watching your face. I didn't realize you had a specific <laughs> one in mind. I was just, I was just okay. listening to you. Um, I realized it did happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we all know how Solo worked out. Anyway. You nearly brought uh, down but the franchise. I think it really did. That 10 minute sequence I think is perfect, especially when the guy puts the hat on Indiana Jones and then he pans up and it's modern day Indiana Jones. And then the music swells. He's on the boat. He gives a little smirk. And that's, that's one of those movies now where it'd be like, woo, like the little this cheer moment belongs in, the theater. in a museum. <laughs> and yeah, it's just great. It's like how many times we have to run into each other, Mr. Jones. <laughs> They're on the boat. That's a that's a great opening as well. This is my favorite movie. This is my favorite. Oh, I yeah. love it. I love the chemistry between him and Sean Connery. I think they work so well off each other. Again, definitely. George Lu- or Steven Spielberg wanted to make a James Bond movie. He fucking cast James Bond in one of his movies. There's a lot of callbacks uh, or homages to James Bond in these movies. Like, I forgot to mention in Temple of Doom, the suit he's wearing is, the white suit is an homage to the James Bond Sean, suit and the and Dr. No. Yeah. Or was that from Russia with Love? It's one of the early ones. The white suit, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I love The Last Crusade. Their chemistry is phenomenal. That opening scene is great. And they, and you see him back as the professor again, where, um... And he goes to goes to the house, or no, he's he's mailed the uh, the diary, the Holy Grail diary, and and he's like, why is this mailed to me? Then he goes mm-hmm. over to checks his his dad's place, and it's torn up, and he he thinks he's been captured. And then we're off to uh, are we off to Cairo again? Is that where we're at? Because I know we're Jonathan Reese Davis is back in this movie. Uh, I think we're going. To no, Italy they now. go to Venice. Yeah, yeah, they go to yeah. Venice. What am I talking about? They go to Venice where they think last is. We meet up with Elsa. Who, yeah, he didn't know. He didn't know she was a Nazi. I could see why you fell for. Her. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. easy. Yeah, definitely. I love that the uh, the scene in the church, or not the church. The oh, it was a library. It was a church that got turned into a library. That's the whole thing. They he's trying to find the X marks the spot, and then he finds the X again and again. He's a dork. He's all giddy about it. Smash through it. They go into the basement with all those rats. Fun fact, those rats had to be breeded because if they used real rats, they all had disease. So they had to breed like 2,000 rats specifically for that movie. That's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty wild. You think filmmakers Um, will put in that kind of effort today? No, they just CGI the whole thing. No, CGI, yeah. Absolutely. That's why these old movies Um, hold up better. You can tell they put more effort into them. Yeah. Great scene there. I think, again, this is one of those movies, I think it's just one iconic scene after another. They find the Grail tablet, um, or the other half of the Grail tablet. Oh, we skipped that whole part, where Indy's called over to the... Who's the villain in this movie? 
Belloc the, diet. That guy. <laughs> other Nazi guy. The other not the other secret Nazi guy where he shows him half the half of the shield that's on like on her carving and then he does a sketch out of it. That's what he puts on the professor glasses and then tells him, Oh, your father's missing. Goes to find his father. Cut back to he's he finds the other half of the shield. I think that's a great little that's another great little archaeology piece as well. They light that whole thing on fire. You see the rats screaming from the petroleum. You're like, oh my God, like destroying Elsa's hair at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then it's a boat chase. Oh my, a boat chase in Venice? Beautiful. Yeah. Love it. And it's hilarious because that's such an iconic place in Venice. Whenever other films film there, I always think of Indiana Jones because he pops mm. out of the, the sewer and it's just in that little diner area outside yeah. of the church. And I think it's just a perfect, like, spot for it. Yeah, that boat chase scene, I remember being pretty good. Very, uh, how many things were doing boat chase scenes back then? On actual boats? Probably none. And then he's trying to interrogate him, but the boat's getting more and more chopped up. And it's just yeah, that like, was, uh, that's my favorite part <laughs> about that is when the boat's getting chopped up by the propeller. It's really getting chopped up, too. I yeah. love practical stuff so much. Again, that'd be CGI. And it would be obvious, if today, too. Yeah. But you're like, oh my god, they're in actual danger. <laughs> like, they're in real-life danger. That's what makes it and better. Then, That's why stunt people are so go, amazing. And why they yeah, need an Academy Award for to, it. Oh, they did. Nice. And no, then they go why to they Scotland. Should. Oh, they should, yes. Should. Absolutely should. And they go to Scotland, and then they go to the secret... Nazi castle. And then that's where we are introduced to um, Henry Jones Sr. Henry Jones Sr. Pixar Jr. <laughs> and I love how he turns immediately back into a little boy. He's like, yes, sir. It's like, what are you doing here? It's like, I'm here to rescue you. Isn't and then there he- also that bit when he takes the machine gun. I told you. <laughs> Don't call Don't. me Jr. <laughs> Look what you did. <laughs> Oh, and then there's like, I love the other joke too, where it's like, how did you know she was a Nazi? She talks in her sleep. (laughs) And then he just, and he looks at Sean Connery. He's just like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh God, I'm Eskimo brothers with my dad. (laughs) Uh, That's funny. Uh, It's like, hey, you want to know where the charm comes from? Comes from, comes from Henry (laughs) Sr. Like father, like son. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the yeah. best parts about this movie is how similar they are, but they just they're too similar and they just conflict all the time. Yeah. And yeah. then the the tone in this, I think it also reflects Raiders as well. There's some serious moments, but there's also comedic moments. Like when um the castle goes up on fire because <laughs> like Henry Sr. drops the lighter and they go into the uh the fireplace and then they turn it and then they accidentally turn around or turn the fireplace around and they're in this secret like Nazi communication area. And then oh, one yeah. woman notices them and they're just like, they just smile at her and they turn back around. Right. <laughs> yeah. She's like, ah, <laughs> just a great escape scene where, and again, you think you're going to get into another boat chase, but then they pop out of this crate and it's the little, it's the motorcycle. The and motorcycle, the, um, yeah, the sidecar sidecar. Oh, so good. And then he, <laughs> They brought this up in another podcast uh, that I was listening to, but because they're doing like the Indiana Jones movies before um, Dial Destiny comes out as well. 
how when he like jousts the guy and then you see like Henry Anna Jones is like I say Henry Anna Jones is that what I just said (laughs) Henry Jones senior he sees like he's kind of giddy about it. he's like kind of getting excited about it but whenever (laughs) like Indiana Jones does something he looks over to his dad for approval he's just kind of like unfazed by it he's just like not impressed and he's just like whatever and just their chemistry together is just so good it's one of the best best pairings anything yeah it's amazing and i think it all accumulates into that scene in the blimp where Mm -hmm. they're like you never had like an interest in me it's like did i ever tell you to go to bed brush your teeth (laughs) it's like i respected your privacy it's like you left when you were just becoming interesting and he's like what the hell am i supposed to say with that yeah it's about the tense relationship between fathers and sons. and mm-hmm. Once again, they're so similar, but they're so different. They both dedicated their life to archaeology. And w- once again, going back to someone like, like Belloc, I said, was Indiana Jones's dark mirror about what he could become if he, be- if he used his archaeology for wealth and power. His dad is what he could become if he devoted his life to archaeology obsessively. And had no other life, mm-hmm. which I think he realizes is kind of how he has been living his life for the entire franchise. This is all he does. He doesn't have a family. He doesn't have he, he's never settled down. He's always going to be looking for these relics and he doesn't want to end up like his father that way. Mm-hmm. Where it just. Which, you know, you get to the end of the movie and they have to give up the grail, but that. Like, his whole life's work ended up being for nothing in the end. He abandoned his son for nothing. But he did choose him, his son, in the end. So that was Mm -hmm. was what Indiana Jones needed to learn by the end of the movie, is that family and your loved ones are more important than things, even if those things are valuable. Mm -hmm. Doesn't replace the, the bonds we have in life, so... Even the flawed ones. It's a fantastic movie. And, um, oh, there's another comedy bit where, like, Indiana Jones has this whole speech was like, <laughs> he's like, he's probably halfway across Cairo by now. And by <laughs> even right now, he probably has the grail already. Cut to his buddy being lost <laughs> in Cairo. He doesn't know a lick of, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, their language. <laughs> Just one of the best cutaway jokes ever. That's good. I love, I love their, I, yeah, again, I love Sean Connery and, and Indiana Jones together. They're just one of the best pairings. And even when, uh, when you get to the final, like the final area, when they're into like the, the grail cave or whatever, and it's just a shocking scene when Sean Connery gets shot, you feel it cause you feel the bond throughout this whole movie and yeah. you're like, Oh fuck. Because you let you grow with these characters and you learn to feel for these characters, and now Anna Jones has a reason to get the Grail, and just those three tasks, phenomenally, like phenomenal filmmaking, just yes. so well done. Just something out of like a like a Temple Run TV show where those kids, or maybe it was inspired by that, where you're just going through these three tasks where he has to kneel and avoid the spikes, he has to uh, spell Jesus' name. And then that, the bridge scene, just amazing work of, and I think it's a matte painting, which is pretty that awesome. That makes sense. Where it's like the bridge is invisible, but it only looks invisible because of how 
It matches up with the wall behind it. It's got and then a jump. You... Yeah. Oh, leap of faith. Cutting back to Sean Connery and Harrison Ford. There's no Ford hay bale even. Yeah, it's 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 insane. It's it's a it's a great scene. And then they get to the final, the final area, and it's just this old knight there, and he's just like, "You have to take my place." And Indiana Jones is just like, "No, listen, I'm just I'm just here. Like, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to get I'm just trying to get the Grail." And then they do the switch out. They give the fake Grail to Belloc Light. Again, I don't know his name. <laughs> and he has the, uh, he starts to get older. And that effect where his hair grows out or yes. something like that is just, it's one of those insane things. And funny enough, that's footage is actually in reverse. So how they filmed it is they had the hair and they pulled it through the head, like the stump oh, okay. or whatever. And then they just reversed it. If you go back and watch it, you can tell it's in reverse because the flames <laughs> in the background are like going the wrong way. They're like flickering the wrong way. But you don't, because that's not where your eyes are. You're looking at the insane effect and Elsa's reaction to it as well. So I, it's a really well done effect. It's just as memorable as the um, the Nazi's face melting off in the yeah. Raiders of the Another Lost Ark there. child scarring scene. I think one he of my favorite... poorly. That's quoted Classic. all the time. <laughs> Classic. It's very usable in many contexts is the thing my favorite thing about that ending there is that the grail wasn't one of the many fancy ones it wasn't it's the crappiest Mm -hmm. looking one the carpenter yeah the cup of a carpenter yeah yeah i don't know why but i always thought that the knight was alec guinness i don't know why i knew it wasn't him as a kid growing up i just always pictured like that's alec guinness (laughs) it's got alec guinness energy yeah i can see for sure yeah, I I like the night being there for that long. I, I but I just love how to me that just feels really in, important that the the chalice was mm-hmm. the just terrible <laughs> because yeah. everyone goes everyone has spent the last couple thousand years imagining it as this just this larger than life thing. Oh, it'll make you immortal, so it's got to be really mm-hmm. it's got to be and- larger than life. It's got to be mythical looking it's got to be one of these beautiful looking things but i think that also goes to the general theme of the movie about well once again the the father and son dynamic it's just that the that beauty's not where you think it is all the time everyone goes after the shiny chalices and then he he gets killed for it because Mm -hmm. he was going after the the shiny thing instead of the thing of substance that actually mattered you didn't choose the the rough looking cup because you didn't think it was valuable. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I love how Indy just goes for it too. Like he takes a second to take a sip, but he's just like, "Fuck it!" <laughs> like I got I got no time to be. <laughs> I can yeah. save my dad, and I love that effect too, where he's pouring it on the wound, and at first it looks like it like corro- uh, corrodes the wound from. Uh, like the gunshot wound and then it just like pours it away mm-hmm. and like again in real it's just like makeup pouring away but you're so invested into this it's like wow it's just like it's a simple effect but it's just like so well done yeah sure and then the Elsa one again I think what puts this movie my favorite is when Elsa takes the grail away and she goes over the seal everything breaks apart she's starting to fall down but Indiana has her 
And then she's like, I almost got it. I almost got it. She falls down eventually. And then and he grabs Indiana's there. He goes, he's like, I can almost reach it. And then his dad finally goes, Indiana. And he just looks at them. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> just the way he says it is just so well done. And then First they both call them that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they both stand up. They see the night. And he's just kind of like, I told you to do one thing. I told you not to go over <laughs> the goddamn mm-hmm. seal. And now I'm going to die here. But they just like, see ya. And then it's them running off into the sunset off to the next adventure. Phenomenal movie. At the time we didn't, we, well, not we, we weren't alive, but you, you mm-hmm. hope there wouldn't be a last adventure because that was, that was the perfect ending. They literally rode yeah. off into the sunset. That was it. It was good. I just remember it was Marcus Brody. I just remember the, the friend's name. Oh, it was Brody? <laughs> yeah. Right. And then they, they did a fourth one, and some people are it's okay with bag. this. The, the people, I think, who are most okay with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull are us who grew up on it. Yep. Just like we are, with the, we are with the Star Wars prequels. I feel dated when I think of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, because I still remember, mm-hmm. I saw it twice, I think. Once in theaters, and I still have the big popcorn bucket with the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull on it. Ooh. Still have that somewhere. Second time I saw it was at a drive-in movie theater, double feature, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and Iron Man. Wow. That was 2008 for you. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good night. Still remember that one. That's a pretty good night. For all the people who, like, criticize Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, at least it's Harrison Ford trying. And that's what I hope happens in (laughs) Dial of Destiny. Like, when he tries... In a, in a film, he's phenomenal, because yes. he's had this um, critique about him when he's older that he doesn't really give a shit about anything anymore. But when he's on screen and he's trying in his role because he loves Indiana so much, it's still him. It's still Indiana. I, I think people really just get taken aback by Shia LaBeouf and the CGI and like the lens flares everywhere. But they forget to like recognize there's still magic in there. There's still, you know, yeah. that Spielberg-esque type filming. There's still the John Williams score, and there's still Harrison Ford, and he's and they're trying. And I think the, you know, the archaeology scenes and the grave digging scenes are filmed really well. Like they're great set pieces. Yeah. And they thought, hey, years later, what do we think of? Do we go back to archaeology or do we go really ambitious and say, hey, aliens? If we tried that, <laughs> which even then that's a twist at the end. It, it, it's like mm-hmm. a lot of problems I have with kingdom of the crystal. Well, not that I have, but, but even then, the, where a is lot of the problems when... that you can put back to other movies, right? If you say, okay, well, most of the movies grounded and then the end is aliens. Well, why aren't you upset that the Ark of the covenant basically proves God exists <laughs> or, yeah. or any of the other endings that are also, mm-hmm. Like, okay, so that proves God exists. I think uh, he defeats Molaram by activating the mm-hmm. the uh, tablets the, or whatever. The tablets. The... So that proves those are magical and those work too. And uh, the la- and Last Crusade, they literally found the Holy Grail and it cured his dad's wounds. <laughs> like, once again, like, Judeo-Christian religion exists. And you find all that out at the end, but Aliens is too far for you. Or what's like he he survives a nuke 
by hiding in a lead line fridge, but him falling out of an airplane, sliding down the Alps and over a cliff isn't too far for you as well. Twice. <laughs> he does it twice in that scene. <laughs> yeah. Or when he also widely criticized, I guess, but also when he had to drive on top of the U-boat to get to that destination and like to get to the uh, Ark of the Covenant and Raiders when he's hanging oh, on yeah, top yeah, of the yeah. U-boat, like you said, that wasn't too much for, that wasn't have too. Have you seen, have you seen the how it should have ended for Kenny McChrystal Skull? It's At got the point. fridge, it's got the fridge popping open and then <laughs> Andrew's <laughs> like, ah, oh, my, all my bones are broken. <laughs> <laughs> classic it's so funny i love that channel so much they bring me joy consistently for sure yeah still to this day they don't they don't post much anymore mm -hmm. i mean it's a great for all the like the nuke thing stuff as well it's a great set piece of just like an oh shit moment where he's escaped the the russians it's a great setup yeah goes to this town and then they're all plastic and you're like what the fuck like what is this and then yeah, it's lead-lined, but it's silly. They've always been a little silly. And him looking at the mushroom cloud, yeah, he should have had radi radiation poisoning by then, but it's a great shot. As long as, you know, you can hate yep. as much as you want. It's a great shot. And it leads up to a joke where he's getting, like, radi I keep saying, like, he gets radiation bathed uh, and bathed or whatever, and then they scrub down to, like, his nether regions, and he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how dare you? Like, I'm fine. Yeah. Oh, there's one joke in this I really love where, um, oh, also Kate Blanchett, I think she does phenomenal in this as the villain. They're like, what if we had a fem like a full on female villain, like full on Russian, and we just get Kate Blanchett? I think she's great. She's got iconic, I think she has an iconic look to her. She has a, mm -hmm. I mean, she's got a sword fight with Shia LaBeouf. But there's one point where they're interrogating Indiana Jones, and she tells him something like, they're, Nothing, uh, nothing mystical, something else out of this world. And Indiana Jones says to him, like, what do you mean? And she gives him a look. And then Indiana Jones just straight up goes, come on. <laughs> to me, that's so funny. That's just like him being like, you're full of shit. <laughs> yeah, what I it's like. Little moments like that. I did appreciate that it wasn't Nazis for a change. And I know a lot of people didn't like that. But I, I always liked how. It's yeah, the movie said in 1957, of course the Russians are going to be the bad guys. That's just... Mm -hmm. The thing about Crystal Skull that people have to realize is that the original trilogy is based on pop adventure serials George Lucas and Steven Spielberg grew up with from the 30s, whereas Crystal Skull is set in the 50s chronologically. That's logical. So they based that movie more on 1950s sci-fi. Because that was the big genre at the time. So, yeah, they still had to keep the archaeological component of Indiana Jones, but update it for a 1950s aesthetic and feel. And I, I think they accomplished their movie well. Those sci-fi movies of the 50s were cheesy. Yeah. And what I will say is they they didn't do what they did with the original very well, though is they adapted a, sci a 1950s sci-fi B-movie pretty well, but they didn't bring in that grit and seriousness that made right. you... That made the... Like, like Raiders of the Lost Ark made those 1930s adventure serials serious. Mm -hmm. They kept the fun tone, but forgot to make it 
like Fun. grounded <laughs> enough, you know? They basically yeah. just they basically just remade those B movies without you know what I'm saying? I'm having trouble yeah, localizing it right now. But they had no, there's a definitely they, a tonal difference from like this movie to the first. Yeah. So it wasn't the fact that they adapted those kind of movies. It's the fact that they didn't. Yeah, they, they didn't update it enough mm. for modern audiences. Yeah. So if you still look at it as a cheesy B movie, it works. Yeah, I think it, it does. Works. It does what it's trying to do. Yeah. It's just a shame that it, they had to do that with Indiana Jones for. Mm-hmm. But it still I works. I actually like the 50s aesthetic. A little yeah. bit. And, I, and yeah, it gets a little cheesy at some points with the uh, <laughs> greasers versus <laughs> like the jocks in that bar at one point. But yeah. even that chase, is, I think, is done well where they're in the motorcycle and he's driving away. I think that's the only uh, practical scene. fight scene in the whole movie. Probably, yeah. <laughs> the rest of it's uh, very heavily computer generated. Which, look, yeah. Lucasfilm was in this weird phase back then, right? Mm-hmm. This is because George Lucas Star- was pushing them a lot to go into digital because they he was trying to pioneer people. Or the visual be the palette, pioneer of it. The visual palette of the movies clearly digital film or digital film in the two thousands. They hadn't quite figured it out how to make it look good yet, mm-hmm. and CGI is everywhere because George Lucas always wanted to push the special effects, and I'm sure they. Did a lot. Of, they did a lot of great effects work on that movie, mind you. I think a lot of it's mm-hmm. really good, especially for 2008. I'm sure a lot of it was mind-blowing at the time. Yeah. Doesn't hold up as well today, unfortunately. But it pushed the medium of special effects filmmaking forward. Mm-hmm. And there's so still, still some like practical elements in there. Especially yeah. when they're going into the final temple and they're pulling out the rocks and the sand's pouring out. And then there's the mixture of the CGI there where it's about to, and they're all about to collide with t- uh, with each other. And I think I'm going to say when they're running down the stairs and the stairs are slowly closing, that's also practical as well, I want to say, just from mm. memory. But those monkeys definitely went practical. <laughs> <laughs> Do we count Shia LaBeouf among them? Uh, no, sadly, he's practical. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so Shia LaBeouf in recent years has not been the greatest person, but I, he's still a decent actor. And I think he does, I think he gets a little bit too much hate here because he is a bit of a whiner and a bit of a know-it-all. But that is the character of that generation, right? It's the 50s greaser, it's the rebel, it's the I don't want to listen to you, dad mentality. This is and also, I think he's, yeah, it's like, if you're looking to Indiana Jones compared to this greaser, right? This is a young punk kid. has never really known, like, real hardship. I mean, I guess he never knew his dad, so that sucks. Mm-hmm. But you look at Indiana Jones as a guy who's fought Nazis, seen war zones, been through hell, had his leg threatened so many times. This greaser, who's got some daddy issues, isn't really... He just looks like a whiner, right? Compared to this old grizzled hero. But I think the movie plays that up better than once again, a modern movie would where once again, a modern movie would actively make Indiana Jones look worse for being the old man. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't really respect his experiences. And that's why I'm worried for dial of destiny. I don't know how they're going to handle Phoebe Waller bridge. She's either going to be, 
she's either going to be what I fear she'll be, or she'll actually be compelling. She's either going to be the one who is like, they set up her as his replacement and make her better than him at everything and have her show him up at everything and have her lecture him at every turn when he's doing things not the way a 1970s woman would want it done. My 70s yeah. woman, I mean 2020. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Or, I am a little worried, but it's... and he'll be more, you know, he'll yeah. be her mentor and he'll be a I hope flawed older guy situation. with some. Yeah. I trust, I trust James Mangold. I don't trust modern story writers. <laughs> I trust Mang's Mangold. I don't trust Kathleen Kennedy, though. <laughs> That's my problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> uh, we bring her up every other episode. <laughs> she's a she's a frequent. I can't call her a nemesis or a rival because she doesn't care about us at all. She no, just, she'll be a guest one day. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> so, what were you thinking in those years? Why is it all your fault? <laughs> but yeah, it's a funny you bring up the equal parts or the. Indiana Jones not being lesser than because in Kingdom of Cursed Skull he's the same he's the same as yeah. he was in the uh, in the originals and what standout scene is when it's him and uh, Mutt that's probably people are mad because his name's Mutt and um, Indiana was their the first dog's name that's true <laughs> <laughs> named after the dog anyway when they're going through that scene and it's that one the balancing thing where mm-hmm. Indiana crawls through and then Mutt's freaking out because he disappears. And then Indiana Jones crawls back because he can tell it's just a bouncing thing. And he's just casually just like, just like staring. I'm like, calm down. I think that's great too. Just Harrison Ford is great. Just facial acting as well. Yeah. So I also good. like that it makes oh, John Hurt's Indiana- in this movie too. The late John Hurt. Rest in peace. Who is he? He's again? the crazy guy. He's the crazy. Um, Oh, okay. Uh, the guy who finds the crystal skull at first. I think mean, he was a professor too. Mm-hmm. One of their temporaries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that Ox. this movie. Uh, yeah. I wrote it down. Oxley, Harold yeah, Oxley. Oxley. I like that this movie gave Indiana Jones a chance to be a father as well, because you go mm-hmm. from Last Crusade, where the father-son dynamic was a big part about that, and you finally get to Why see the what hell he'd did you be- finish school. <laughs> You finally get to see what he'd be like as a father, and he's a lot more like his father than he'd want to be, mm-hmm. is what he realizes, I think, in, in the course of the movie. He, he treats Mutt a lot like Henry Sr. treated him. And I think at the beginning of the movie, you do find out that Henry Sr. died at some point yeah. off camera. So he was thinking about him mm-hmm. at, a, at a point, and I guess they reconciled at some point, but... Him, his relationship with Mutt's an important stepping stone for him as a character because it, it lets him have the family he never had before. Lets him try his hand. At, you know, my father was kind of a dick to me. Let's, and I feel like I have to. My first instinct is to repeat those patterns on you, my son. But I should mm-hmm. know better because I didn't like that. So I'll try to be better. Mm-hmm. Which, once again, you don't have to demean him as a character to do that. Once again, that's that's what I was saying before. He can still be the flawed old man with old ways of thinking, but don't make him, don't tear him down just to prop the new generation up is the problem. 
The new oh, generation yeah, can sure. be right sometimes. That's that's fine. But you don't have to make well, him so look like a Also, he doesn't know it's idiot. his kid till like he doesn't know it's his kid till halfway through the movie. And we forgot to mention Marion's back. Marion's the mom, everyone, and she does great. They pick up where they left off. She looks great. She almost clocks him again as soon as she sees him. Mm-hmm. And I love that first interaction. It's like you said her. You said her name was Mary. <laughs> Marion, and he's freaking. I was like. Marion Crane is your mother. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I think one of my favorite scenes around that point that I remember was when he gets caught in quicksand and they have to pull him out with a snake. Yeah. You still- Don't say the snake. Say grab the rope. And they're like, grab the rope. Okay. <laughs> uh, don't worry. We're fine. As long as there's not <laughs> a gas leak. Boop. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Yeah, Oxley, calls. find help. And he call, it brings the Russians. Help. Great job, Ox. <laughs> Crystal Skull's got his balls. Uh, yeah. One scene that kind of scarred me as a kid was the fire ant scene. Yeah. When the guys were getting eaten by the fire ants. I was like, oh God, is that what fire ants are? And the answer is, kind of. <laughs> Don't get in their way. <laughs> Terrifying. Oof. So, just to... It's got us moments. Just to bring everything together, what I've been meaning to bring up throughout this podcast is the general theme of Indiana Jones, I think is respect the past. And also there are things in this world that we are not meant to possess. There is knowledge we are not supposed to have or try to obtain. You can, you can revere it. You can know about it. Just know that there are things out in space or gods. There, there are things beyond us that we're not ready for. And that theme is pretty hammered home in every single movie. The bad guys look at the Nazis, go after the Ark of the Covenant. They open it. They look upon whatever gods got in there. Faces melt. They literally they can't take it. The so metal of them. But uh, in Temple of Doom... The, the bad guy, Molaram, he's brought down by, and he basically throws all the things in, all the stones in the water, and they're all activated and they're burning, and then Molaram can't stand to let the last one go, so he, it's burning in his hands until he lets go of the rope ladder, and then he gets eaten by crocodiles, so his, his hubris brought him down there. In the third one, the, the Nazi, once again, going after the Holy Grail. In his hubris, he picks the, the nicest looking one because, well, of course, of course it's the nicest looking one. He drinks it even though everyone tells him it's a bad idea. He lacks the wisdom to know he probably shouldn't even be trying. And then in the last one, the, uh, what's her name? The Elsa. Sval- Svalko. Yeah, Elsa, Irina Svalko. She asks the alien for information, and then the alien gives her so much intake at once, her mind melts from the inside as well, because her mind can't fathom it. And that's just the running thread throughout all these movies, is Indy gets out of these problems basically by doing the opposite. He reveres the Ark enough to go looking for it, but he doesn't, he know, he's wise enough to not look at it when it's opened. He saves one stone to give back to the village people, 
but even though he's kind of wanting, he's interested in it for fame and fortune more at this point in his career because this is before he became the hero. But he's also got the humility enough to not to try not to keep it. He's willing to let it go, even though he's spent the whole movie trying to get it. He's willing to let it go. He doesn't get the grail once again for fame and fortune or to keep it away from the Nazis, but he has to do it to save his father. So he's thinking a little more critically about it. And then he's also willing to let that one go. And in Crystal Skull, he's meeting otherworldly beings, but also he knows well enough to leave it alone. This isn't this is something that is beyond him and his culture and he just whatever they have to say, he can't fathom. So let's just get out of here. Cause I guess at this point he's learned his lesson. All the bad guys who keep pushing, they end up getting killed for it Mm -hmm. so the obsessiveness isn't worth it pushing for certain knowledge isn't worth it just kind of know know your limit and don't go on the other side of that so that's yeah and also like i said respect history and Mm -hmm. old old remains i also think it's kind of funny that he indiana jones never really believes in Anything spiritual? Never. <laughs> even, even faced with all this crazy stuff, he never, mm. he never really believes in it. They're all just yeah. old artifacts to him. Weird stuff happens around him. Mm. But I think on some level he must believe because otherwise, he, he probably would do something like look at the ark, right? If he didn't exactly. He's seen enough to know that. It's better to, even if you don't believe, it's better to, if it does exist, then it's better to follow the rules. Right. Because at least that way you won't get killed for it, right? (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. I guess guess that's another lesson of Indiana Jones. Even non-believers should follow some of the rules just in case. Mm -hmm. Some of them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you can you can pick and choose, I guess, but uh, mm. you don't know. That's the thing. At the end of the day, you don't know what's out there, what's beyond our purview, and you you might be you might be damned for all you know, but not following the rules, or maybe there's nothing out there and you'll be fine. But who knows? Maybe it's safer to believe. That's what Indiana Jones would have you believe. Stay stay yeah. skeptical. It'll be interesting to see what this next movie is about in terms of, because I haven't researched it at all. It's just theories. And I heard one theory was about something to do with Greek mythology, which personally would be really cool. But I I know they're going, they're more so going back to mythical type stuff. And I think the marketing of this film has done decently well. (laughs) I I don't know. But in terms of, yeah, in terms of not giving away a lot, and um, I think they've just hyped up more the deep fake technology than the actual story. Yeah. But from the trailers, they look phenomenal effects wise. So yeah. we are worried because <laughs> of reasons. But hey, if Top Gun Maverick can be one of the top 10 movies of last year, why can't Indiana Jones? Because of Lucasfilm's track record. Okay. Well, I was trying was, to be positive. I know. <laughs> 
if it, I'm not, I'm not, I don't like how new, new franchises handle old heroes. If you, if you told me this was a Indiana Jones legacy installment starring mm-hmm. Phoebe Waller-Bridge or whatever, and it was just like, it had nothing to do with Harrison Ford, or even if it was starring Shia LaBeouf, whatever, I'd be a little more hopeful <laughs> nearly, because I'd be like, you know what? You can't ruin it any worse. It's like, maybe you'll mess up the legacy, but you're not going to ruin or kill Indiana Jones. Yeah. At least, so. But, or maybe it's a great send-off for Harrison Ford, and I'll eat my words. I don't know. I'd rather go in skeptical and be surprised than be let down. I hope so. I think he said this is his last one. Harrison Ford. John Williams is retiring after this one, too. Mm -hmm. Might as well. I mean, John Williams, what a legend. This is as much um, his franchise as much as both Spielberg and Harrison Ford's. And that's why I'm worried, I think, is because as much as I respect James Mangold as a filmmaker, it does make me worried that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg declined to participate. Because to mm-hmm. me, this is their thing. Right. This was based on the stuff they loved. This was, for better or worse, in the case of Crystal Skull or whatever, you know, George Lucas is a great storyteller. He's incredibly inventive. Steven Spielberg's got a magical touch with the behind the camera. It's just their, their duo together is what makes Indiana Jones feel how it feels. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a passion project. It's not corporate or trying to appeal to our nostalgia or whatever legacy installments do nowadays. It just, they wouldn't have made a movie that is maybe a hundred percent crowd pleasing, but it would have felt right. It would have felt yeah. true to their vision. Same way I feel about Crystal Skull. However you feel about it as a movie, it still feels enough like Indiana Jones mm-hmm. that it made by Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. It didn't feel like Indiana Jones made by some random executive who was just trying to make money. Right. There was still a level of care put behind it. I just don't have the confidence that mm-hmm. they'll do again. So. We'll see. I hear what you're saying, and that is a definitely a big red flag in terms of that. But a part of me also wants to think that they were working on other stuff. And I also think a huge factor here is they want to do a fifth film for the longest time, and Harrison Ford wasn't signing off on it, and then he finally signed off on it. So, hopefully, the reason he did that <laughs> is because the story was good enough. I have faith in that where he... um I mean, that's the same reason he didn't do Blade Runner for the longest time. And then he saw the story and saw that they were casting Ryan Gosling, or maybe he, I think he suggested Ryan Gosling. Mm. And Blade Runner 2049, I'll say right here, I think is better than the original. I'm not going to say Dial of Destiny is probably better than the originals, but All right, it's definitely I- a, it's definitely my most, not anticipated, but my most Oh, fuck, I hope it's good movies of the year. Yeah, I hope so, too. Here's my hot take of the day. I didn't like Blade Runner. I haven't seen 2049. Didn't like the original Blade Runner. And for those of you wondering, I watched the final cut, I believe it yeah. was. The original's okay. I'm in the there's, same boat as you. There's like three different cuts of it. I saw the final cut, yeah. I believe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Blade Runner like 2049 is very good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll get around to that one eventually. 
I'm a big Denny Villeneuve fan. He's, mm-hmm. I think he's one of the best directors working today, and I'm, I'm disappointed. Say. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you think the character of Indiana Jones endures for so many decades through all this? I think he's just an icon. He's just an icon of film. And again, it all goes back to that first movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You have so many iconic scenes and you have this guy who's not all good or all bad. You just have this charismatic, dirty-looking man who is just trying to, you know, uncover this holy treasure while also defeating the bad guys and also trying not to get killed. You have the the amazing music backing him by John Williams. I just think he's a character that literally anybody can relate to because of how gray he is. Mm. And I think because it hasn't been prequeled or sequeled too hard where it's a recast and it's tied so much to one certain actor, it's more iconic because of that. Like, say, if, like, for instance, Luke Skywalker is iconic, but to me, he's become a little bit less iconic because of the deep fakes, because of the, not the recasting, but the, the AI voice stuff later on. You where, keep using him. Yeah. Mm-hmm, you keep using him. Obi-Wan was iconic as Alec Guinness, but now he's this different type of iconic as Owen McGregor. Darth Vader is very, and I'm, why am I only using Star Wars properties? That he is this iconic person because of James Earl Jones, because of his voice, the way each actor in the suit embodies him, but the emotion behind James Earl Jones's voice, that is, that is it. That is Darth Vader, iconic piece of cinema. Um, it's the same with uh, Top Gun Maverick or Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. People go to see those movies because they love Ethan Hunt and they love what crazy stunt can Tom Cruise do next. So when you have, when you tie an actor to a character and it's just them for most of the franchise and you give them the love, respect, and care and the writing to back it up, the music to back it up, the directing to back it up, the set design to back it up, all the, all the types of things, it's just rememberable. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's reasons why people love Casablanca to this day. There's there's reasons why people love uh, Gone with the Wind to this day because they're iconic characters and they stand the test of time. And Indiana Jones is one of those characters. I think Indiana Jones, a lot like James Bond, is defined a lot by... How we define a masculine ideal in a way, he, like you said, he can be that dirty, grimy guy who gets his hands dirty, crawls through the cobwebs and the bugs and the temples and can kick all kinds of ass. But he's also the guy who can put on a tweed jacket and glasses and (laughs) lecture charismatically in a hall, in in a lecture hall. He's got a stable job. He doesn't have to do these globetrotting adventures. But he goes to these exotic, exotic locations, mutes beautiful women. Uh, he 
he fights bad guys for for good reasons. He looks to preserve his tree, but he's also kind of a nerd about his tree too. He's he's very passionate about things and he's not all cool about it all the time. He's he's a vulnerable hero as well. He can he can be hurt. He he could even be killed, but he always escapes through through his wits just barely. And that's that's fun to watch too. He's never always on top. The fun about Indiana Jones is that he's always he's always one step behind trying to get ahead. And I think we all feel that way to an extent. But through our wits and a bit of charisma and and a bit of skill, we can not get ahead, but get a little less out from behind. And I also think what works about Indiana Jones is just the timelessness of his stories. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, as I've mentioned many, many times in this episode today, they loved their 1930s serials. And they made people in the 80s love those same kind of serials. And we love Indiana Jones today because, once again, this kind of this kind of masculine ideal of being a badass but also a gentleman at the same time, that's, that's timeless. But also going to crazy locations around the earth and fighting bad guys and that stuff will always be appealing. I think like Nazis will always be bad guys. That's never going to age badly. Right. I mean, I, I look at <laughs> stuff like that. Bullwhips and fedoras will always be cool. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, satchels. Satchels. Sure. The Steven Spielberg filmed so much of it like it was always meant to be iconic. Like I said, right from that opening silhouette, just from just from his image, you can tell Indiana Jones. I mean, how many guys in the 40s wore fedoras, right? You know, every film noir movie you watch, some guys wearing a fedora. That's just the style. But Steven Spielberg, just with a couple silhouette shots, linked that kind of image to Indiana Jones so thoroughly that he's baked into our collective consciousness just just from a shadow alone mm-hmm. which is pretty crazy it just his filmmaking is timeless as well it's the practical effects it's the John Williams score the kind of classical composition never goes out of style the the action scenes are amazing like you said Harrison Ford just linked to that character for ever such a great performer. And like I said, it's Lucasfilm firing on all cylinders. It's some of the, it's the best talents of their era all working on this passion project that they didn't really have any strings attached on and just them making the best thing they can possibly make. And of course, it, it still holds up, I'm glad to say. It's just it's a timeless product all around. Just everything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know about uh, how the new one's going to hold up. But the the originals are definitely uh, classic for a good reason. Yeah. Look, I have faith. I have faith in James Mangold. He's never made a bad movie. He's made one of my favorite movies of all time, Logan. So I just hope we don't cut to me in two weeks. and I'm just like this. I'm just just eating my words. I trust him. I trust the cast. I just don't know anything about the story. <laughs> that's that's all I don't know right now. I there I think what Indiana Jones needs, he needs a 
not iconic, but he needs a unique artifact to chase after. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Like, unique, but also just iconic as well, because who know? like, I don't, I didn't know anything about the Ark of the Covenant before this movie, but I knew what the Holy Grail was. Yeah. I knew what that was. And I'm sure there were some people in the, um, in the Hindu religion who knew about the great Kali and Temple of Doom and her, um, her totems as well. And, um, Kingdom Crystal Skull went, (laughs) just went full out and said, here's an alien skull that's made out of crystal. Like, oh, that's unique. He He just needs that. So the dial of destiny is, is a weird choice. Is. Whatever that no, means, I think, but I forgot to mention this for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but one thing I appreciated about it a lot, which I don't think the new one will deliver, is a good ending. To me, mm. that's it, it delivered already. I mean, if Last Crusade was the perfect, perfect ending with him and his father and I think Sala riding off into the sunset mm-hmm. on the horses, that was amazing. But I love how Kingdom of the Crystal Skull ended too. He's wedded to Marion. They're walking out, and Indy's fedora ends up on the floor. Mutt picks it up. He's about to put it on, and then Indy snatches it out of his hands and puts it on as they leave the chapel. You're not going to get an ending like that in Dial of Destiny. I guarantee you. It's going to be, you're probably going to do a passing of the torch to Phoebe Waller Bridge, or he's going to die, or something. But I love. This is what I'm talking about. It's just, you had that tease in there of, oh, is Shia LaBeouf going to take over? Is this going to be a passing of the torch? And then it's just a wordless Harrison Ford takes the cat back and is like, nope, I'm still Indiana Jones. Even right at the end, puts the hat back on. Not to say there can't be a successor, but it's just a, a subtle visual way of saying, nope, this is, it's still me. It's always going to be me. I don't think there should be a successor. After this, I think it should. I think the franchise should just die with Harrison Ford because <laughs> you're, ne- you're never going to beat it. It's just going to be how the mummy was, the 1990 mummy, where it's you can tell it's very much Indiana Jones diet, where they have Brandon Fraser dressed up and sort of an Indiana Jones getup, but not really. He's got the dual pistols or just the one pistol. I don't remember. And it's kind of like that, or whenever, when anybody does a archaeology movie, it's always ties to Indiana Jones, so, yeah. and it's never going to be topped. How many imitators has Indiana Jones inspired? All of them. Anything that does archaeology after Indiana Any, Jones. Yeah. Was, I mean, off the top of my head, The Mummy was one I forgot about, but I was also mm-hmm. thinking Tomb Raider and Uncharted, mm-hmm. which are pretty obvious. Yeah. And Uncharted's yeah. different because... In that video game world, you're controlling Nathan, and I haven't played them yet, but he has kind of become his own uh, iconic character, but he's still, like, a level below Indiana Jones. Nathan Drake is Indiana Jones if he was born, like, 60 years later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's just, he's a modern update for it. And if he had an actual license to kill. (laughs) Nathan Drake kills hundreds of people. (laughs) I think I killed thousands. (laughs) <laughs> going for the platinum <laughs> they do have a list of stats and you can uh, see your body count in them it's excessive uh, anyway indiana jones fantastic we'll see you next time for dial of destiny i think mm-hmm. that's coming out end of june right 
June 30th. Okay, so that'll probably be the next episode. Mm-hmm. Let's plug our socials and uh, get out of here. All right, well, you can find me at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube, TikTok, and on Instagram. And you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at ThoughtPlay Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us on audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe, where we review Dial of Destiny, for better or for worse. What'll it be? Find out. Till next time. Copyright.